the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Tom Mueller. This is Colorado Issues, and I'm talking uh, with Demosa Weber Bay from Scholastic Magazine. When we were students, we read Scholastic Magazine. Is that uh, is my memory serving me right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in fact, Scholastic started in 1920 with Scholastic Magazine. Um, out in Pennsylvania, but as the you know we're coming up on our hundred year anniversary in 2020, and as time you know moved through the 20th century, it evolved from Scholastic Magazine to including um, reading clubs where children were able to get books through the mail, which is something that's also very familiar. And then now we also have book fairs where it's kind of like a pop-up store inside of schools. And we have an education division, media, library publishing, and um, also international groups. So we're really excited, you know, with how we've developed over time and the kind of affinity that people have for Scholastic. And with that, uh, I want to welcome you here to uh, our audiences in Colorado uh, and what you're doing. You're a librarian then with uh, the Scholastic Librarian then, right? Yeah. Um, part of what I do is keep track of the Scholastic Archive, um, which is everything Scholastic has published going back to 1920. And then we also help with the uh, creation of new content, so doing research and answering reference questions for the people on staff here. And, you know, right now we're excited about our Kids and Family Reading Report. This is the sixth edition of it, so we've um, been working on it since 2010. And, you know, it's an opportunity for us to take a look at the reading habits of children and, you know, their parents also, and just see, you know, ways that we can continue to improve and serve this community. And in that vein uh, is... That vein is what I want to talk to you about, uh, some tips on helping kids find uh, the kind of books they like. But let me start out by, by asking, uh, is it a struggle, especially today with uh, cell phones and social media and all that, to get children and kids and young, uh, young adults to read? I think that as... As children are aging, then some, you know, they could, uh, have more choices of things to do. And so two of the things that we're really focused on, on, you know, looking at the results from this report were choice and access. And so on the choice side, you know, we really see that in order for um, children to enjoy reading for fun and find the books that are the ones that become their favorites, it's important that they have a lot of choice. And, you know, we're kind of exploring the different ways that they are able to find the books that they like and also access to books. You know, taking a look at the you know reading habits and seeing how many books children have in the home and where they're finding information about the books that they, you know, will become their favorites or, you know, will encourage them to become frequent readers. 
and also looking at their habits as they grow older. And we do see that as children, you know, age up, they are, you know, they grow more and more interested in electronic media and cell phones and things like that. So, you know, we're trying to see how we can continue to keep them interested in, you know, reading for fun in particular, but also knowing that reading for fun leads to improve, you know, improve educational outcomes. Mm-hmm. Despite, you know, the common belief that children, you know, are not as avid reading, you know, reading these days, it, you know, we do find that kids are reading and they're enjoying it and having fun and reading during the summer. So that's, you know, very positive uh, information. Uh, set the the report up for us. Yeah, um, it's a, it was an online survey um, that was filled out by a parent and the child. So we were able to see the perspective from the parent um, as well as from the child who's the reader. Um, we looked at things that had to do with the kind of demographics of the community. Um, we had five main sections to the report. So there's what they are looking for in books specifically. Um, we had a section about reading books for fun, a uh, section about reading aloud, which is, you know, something that we're very, you know, we feel very strongly about, and there's more and more research that supports it. And uh, then the fourth section has to do with summer reading, and uh, at the you know, end we finished up looking at the favorite children's books just to see what are the things that uh, children in, are really excited about. Can you give us an overview on each one of those five uh, uh subsections and what you have found from them? Well, the the main one where they're looking for in books, um, you know, we were able to find some of the different things that the kind of the kind of books and characters that parents and children are looking for. And so, of course, the first response that or the top response you're getting is that everybody is just looking for a good story. And I think everybody can identify with that. Um, and then also parents were looking for, and that's the children, they want books where they can find role models, um, role models for their children and for the children, people that they can be like because they're smart, strong, and brave. So that's something that we've really been looking at a lot this year um, or, you know, focusing on coming out of looking at the report. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, also there was a very high response that people were looking for experiences, people and experiences that were different from those of their children. Um, you know, books that featured various cultures, customs, and religions, and stuff like that. Um, and that was because this year we, you know, included some questions looking at diversity in particular and seeing how parents defined diversity and what kinds of different stories that they were looking for. And then with reading books for fun, you know, some of the main things that we found was that, um, you know, the children, their favorite books are the ones that they're able to choose for themselves. And, uh, you know, seeing where they get those recommendations, you know, for the best ideas for books to read. And so 51% of uh, children responded that teachers and school librarians are the place where they get their best book ideas, which is, you know, very exciting for me, somebody who's been a teacher. And uh, I was also a public, you know, public library team librarian. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just kind of the places where they can find books that they're going to love. Uh Yeah, that's got to be, I would imagine in in your line of work, you give these suggestions. uh, It's got to be gratifying when they take them rather than go home wondering, golly, am I making any kind of impact whatsoever? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when you recommend a book to someone and 
they come back and tell you that they really loved it, then you feel like a huge success. Mm -hmm. And then the flip of that is that when somebody comes back and tells you they didn't really care for the book or something, you know, I feel like I didn't, a, I didn't do a good job that day, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it kind of incenses you to try to work a little harder to help them find something. And that's where I think that choice comes in because it's one thing to hand one specific book to someone and recommend it because, you know, you enjoyed it or you think it's good for them. But when you bring them to a place like the public library, the school library, um, something like the reading clubs forum where they have a lot of things to choose from or a, a school book fair, then the child gets the opportunity to, look, you know, walk around and see what captures their interest. Mm -hmm. And that that's where they're more likely to find something that they enjoy reading. I think that that's a pretty good tip for parents, too, uh, to uh, ask questions of their kids what they would enjoy uh, so that uh, their kids, uh, you know, obviously a parent would guide the choice, but uh, the kids uh, make their own choice but they don't make it in a in a vacuum if their parents are asking yeah. them questions. And in particular, one of the the results that we discovered is that parents often underestimate their child's ability to find books that they enjoy. And so, you know, some of the numbers are that um, you know, forty one percent of children are have trouble finding books that they like, especially as they're growing older. But 29% of parents, you know, say that their kids need help finding books to read for fun. So you've got, you know, it's about an 11% difference there between, you know, that's where the parents are kind of thinking that, oh, you know, oh, there are only a few, you know, or 29% of parents that are thinking, oh, my child needs some help finding books. But really, you know, the response of the children was much larger. Mm. Mm. So, you know, trying to get that message out there so that parents can, you know, use some of these um, resources that, um, you know, we're suggesting or we see that are working to help their children find these books. Does uh, Scholastic then have resources for parents to, uh, to use to discover what their kids would like so that their kids can, uh, with supervision, choose for themselves? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have an entire section of our website, in fact, that is devoted to parents, uh, scholastic.com backslash parents. And that group is, you know, they've got a lot of, they've, um, in particular, one blog called Raising a Reader, where they have, um, you know, posts from people that work at Scholastic and guest posts from other folks that are, you know, kind of experts and specials in the industry that are giving ideas about how to um, raise your child to be a reader. And then um, there's a um, book fair, you know, like at the Scholastic Book Fairs, we have an app that uh, parents and children can use to help to discover books and, you know, see the different reading levels and the topics that are covered by the books. And, you know, our social media channels, you know, like I mentioned, Scholastic Parents is a website. They also have a um, Facebook page and a Twitter handle and all those different kind of things so that you can follow that um, group. And, you know, in the same way, they have we have uh, channels that are devoted to teachers and to librarians so that all of the adults that are involved in a child's life can, you know, look and, um, you know, follow the different recommendations that we're giving through blogs and social media. And um, we also have professional books, you know, that are aimed at our adults that are looking at just those topics. And people can find out all about that on uh, Scholastic.com then, right? 
Yes, that's a good place to start. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. I, I had no idea uh, that it was as broad uh, as it was. It really shows you how, when I think back to the Scholastic magazine when I was in school, which admittedly yeah. it was a long time ago, uh, it's. Uh, I had no idea that it's as broad as can be, but uh, certainly uh, the Internet has opened up all sorts of possibilities for people to find out more and more and more what you're doing as you pack more and more stuff in uh, in what you do. I mean, I, you know, working down in the archive, I get the opportunity to lo- look at a lot of those magazines that you're talking about um, mm-hmm. and see the different topics that were covered in major you know, moments in my childhood and, you know, my parents' childhood. And, you know, a lot of the research that I'm doing sometimes is going down there and we actually have a card catalog. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have an electronic database where we can pull the articles up. But we, you know, for the older ones, we do have a card catalog. And, uh, you know, looking up, sometimes I'll look up for somebody the specific day they were born and see what we were publishing on that day or a big moment in history and as our magazines have anniversaries, we'll, you know, go back and look at some of the iconic covers and, you know, coverage that they also had over the years. And the enthusiasm that, you know, folks have from Scholastic growing up themselves is something that transfers to the children. And, you know, they just have more options for how to engage with us. I'm talking with Demosa Weber Bay, who is a Scholastic librarian, uh, with uh, the the uh, I keep saying Scholastic magazine only because I think <laughs> parents remember Scholastic magazine, but the whole sco- right. Scholastic uh, uh, Empire, I guess you could say. Uh, and we're talking about tips to help kids um, read more. And uh, exactly. so, give us again the five areas that your survey covered. We had talked about what kids and parents want in children's books uh-huh. and reading for fun. Uh-huh. And then the other three sections are reading aloud, summer reading, and favorite children's books. Yeah, reading aloud, that's interesting to me. Uh, fill that out for us a little bit. Well, one of the findings that we're very excited about is that we see that there's a 10% increase in the percentage of parents between 0 and 5 that are reading aloud to their children before three months old. So a little, you know, a little earlier we talked about being being a reading role model, and when you read aloud to your children, that's one way that you can be a role model and get them excited and share things that are books that are your favorites. And we see that it kind of drops off as children get older, so that when they get to being about eight years old, and then uh, again when they're, I think it's about 12 years old or so the parents are, you know, reading less and less so that a teenager may not experience, you know, having their parent read aloud to them. Mm-hmm. So there are various ways that you can engage with your children reading aloud. It doesn't always have to be a chapter book at bedtime. You know, if you're working with a, if you have children that are teenagers, sometimes one of the things my dad used to do is, you know, we would read aloud from the newspaper at the table. If you saw an article that was particularly, you know, compelling or interesting and, uh, you know, my grandmother, she still frequently reads aloud from the paper, um, magazine articles and things like that. So there are a lot of opportunities to continue to read aloud with your children. You just, um, you know, modify it a little bit. 
we found that, you know, 91% of parents, you know, that were zero to five, you know, they enjoyed reading aloud with their children. It was, a, you know, a fun time, you know, like a special mm -hmm. moment. And the children also, you know, 87% of the children between six and 11, they love or like, you know, reading aloud with their parents. One of the results I actually enjoyed was that uh, both children and parents and boy enjoyed voices. And so they, one of the things that they liked about read aloud time on the, you know, the child like hearing their parents do voices mm -hmm. and the parents like to hear their child, uh, like the reaction that they got when they did silly voices. And, you know, I have a friend who I encouraged her with her three, now four-year-olds to do voices. You know, I heard her reading to them one night. I was like, you should do voices. And she's like, oh, I don't know. I can't really do it. I'm like, your audience is three. You know, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> you, you know, absolutely. And uh, as a teacher, when I would read aloud to my students, sometimes I would do voices as well. You know, you get a little bit of laughter, and it just makes the moment special. Huh. I mean, so what you're what you're advocating then is, I think of reading aloud to when the you know the kid hasn't learned how to read yet, and so you're reading to him uh, bedtime stories as you pointed out. But but what you're advocating is after they get, you know, teenagers still read aloud, but just in a different kind of a, a mode, uh, which becomes an occasion for communication rather than just two people. Uh, not communicating it, but occupying the same room. Exactly. You know, earlier you were talking about um, when parents might be on the cell phone. So even that moment right there, maybe you're reading your cell phone, you're flipping through news articles, and you see something that's interesting, and you can just take that moment to be, you know, say hey, and then read that aloud to your, your child mm -hmm. and, you know, share that with them and then, you know, just ask them what they think about it or maybe, you know, ask them a question that kind of leads in another direction. And all of a sudden you read aloud to them, albeit brief, and you guys are engaging and having a conversation about something that's going on mm -hmm. in popular culture or in current events, which is something that, you know, again, will help them with their educational outcomes to be reading and discussing those things with their parents at home. My wife reads aloud to me all the time. <laughs> but I sort of have a feeling that uh, women do that a little more often than men do. And maybe mm -hmm. that's something we men, or certainly we should do no matter what the age group is or with each other, uh, with some degree of intentionality. I think that's a great idea. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, in terms of summer, uh, here it is. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be heading into... Uh, Summer, do, does reading drop off with kids uh, after school's out? It can. It really depends on how frequent a reader uh, children are. So one of the results that we discovered was that only 48% of parents have heard about Summer Slide. And that's where, you know, if a child is not maintaining reading and also this, you know, can pertain to mathematics and things during the summer, then when they come back to school, they're, you know, kind of having to go back and you know recover a little bit before they continue forward so with uh, you know lower income families there's only 38 percent that had heard of summer slide and so you know that was a message that we were trying to get out and you know we've got a summer reading program that um, through scholastic where our children are able to log in to our website and log the minutes that they are you know reading over the course of the summer and it's just a fun way to engage, you know, one summer if a group of students, because you can do it through your 
um, as an individual, you can uh, sign up as like a school or a community group, like the public library could engage. And so there are all these different ways to participate. And, you know, there are some schools where there have been very creative um, kind of award systems where the principal says if the kids read this many minutes, then they'll allow them to, you know, knock the principal into a dunk tank or <laughs> duct tape them to a wall or something like that. And then, you know, if they hit a certain goal one summer, the next summer the parent or the teacher or the librarian can encourage them to try to beat that number the following year. Um, if Students are reading as a community sometimes, and that encourages them to continue. So it just right now, you know, it's we're going from April into May, and a lot of schools are going to, you know, be kind of closing or, you know, coming to the end of their year. So just is the perfect time to start talking about summer slide. And, um, you know, parents and, you know, they are finding that teachers and schools are the best source of information about summer slide. Mm-hmm. And one thing that was exciting to me is that one of the main ways that parents maintain uh, making sure that their children are reading during the summer is to take them to the library. Mm. You know, it's like 66% of parents of children ages 6 to 11 were just, you know, take them to the library, and that's how we'll make sure that they're reading over the summer. And then, you know, I mean, it's the same we talked about a little earlier being a reading role model. So, you know, you can go into the library and you can pick out books that are interesting to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, The children can pick out books that are interesting to them. These are things you can take with you when you're on trips and vacations and stuff like that. And also, if your school's having a book fair, Towards the end of the school year, it's an opportunity for the child to select a bunch of books that they'll read over the course of the summer. Um, You know, you can get in a final order with the reading clubs. Um, I think that they do their last um, flyers come out in the month of May and stuff like that. And, you know, you let them, you know, get the opportunity to kind of pick out a bunch of things that they might be interested in. And they may not make it their way through everything. I think being a librarian, it's important to realize that, Sometimes you give folks a bunch of things to choose from, and it's okay to tell them you don't have to finish everything. You know, when you're reading for fun, you want to find that book or that topic that really excites you and keep going with it. Um, also, you know, thinking about reading habits as people grow older, sometimes, particularly, you know, and I don't want to stereotype, but sometimes when you're looking at boys that may not be frequent readers, mm-hmm. um, sometimes there's interest in reading things that are nonfiction. And also, you know, comic books. I love comic books myself and Uh things like that. So, you know, maybe getting a subscription to a magazine or, you know, looking in the nonfiction section on books that have to do with even, you know, things like video games and popular culture and stuff like that. Just letting them get a wide array of books that um, they have in the home. And I guess one of the final things I want to make sure I got in is just that the, you know, the average home has 104 children's books in it. So if parents take a look at the kind of inventory of children's books in the home and see that it's, you know, less than 100. And, you know, we did that here. We put a 104 books on a shelf and, you know, looked at it, and it's a lot smaller than you think. It you know, seems daunting, but it's not that bad. And you can supplement your personal library, and children can supplement their libraries with uh, books from the book fair, reading clubs, and the public library. You know, and that's another inexpensive way to just fill the house with books that people have a lot of choice. It sounds to me, if we were to group everything we've been talking about uh, in the things that will promote uh, reading among uh, youngsters, uh, children, uh, is is modeling it 
on the on the part of the parents. Uh, yeah. And as you say, reading aloud uh, and not just, you know, at certain age you stop reading aloud. You 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 you're with intentionality, sharing things along the way, and then right. uh, like uh, like uh, I think that that's a good word too. Intentionality uh, as a parent, intentionally uh, focusing, no matter what time of the year it is, uh, uh, on reading and having that library of 104 books uh, for the children. Is that uh, is that a good summation? I know. I think you got it pretty pretty well. Well, uh, this is this is great. I I've come away from this with uh, with something really solid in terms of. Uh, reading aloud just for myself uh, and for... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, and I've got grandchildren, and I kind of leave that to my wife to do. So it might be something that maybe I should do, too. And, and uh, I, I always feel I, I'm just not the kind of guy I sit down with a book with uh, my grandchild and say, here, I'm going to read to you. But if I'm, if I'm saying, hey, I saw this in a book uh, and I read that little snippet, uh, that is much more natural for me as a just, exactly you know uh, let me ask you uh, back to the subject of scholastic uh, mm-hmm. it 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 used to be ubiquitous in every school that ever there was is that pretty much the same too are you are you uh, uh, in virtually every school we can think of. In various ways, I think that that's a good assessment. And because we have so many different channels that we, you know, reach people through right now, it could be in one school that they're really strong users of the magazines. Mm -hmm. And another school, it could be that they, you know, have book fairs, you know, consistently throughout the year. And uh, if you're, you know, anybody who's interested in looking at the report and really doing a deep dive to see the different, um, you know, data that result that talks about choice and access and reading aloud, um, they can go to scholastic.com backslash reading report. And also on Twitter, they can follow the hashtag KFRR, which is for kids and family reading report. And then anytime that we are, you know, tweeting about it or talking about different things and uh, also you know, be able to um, follow that conversation online. Well, listen, uh, this is really, really informative. I just think it's, I'm so glad that that we connected, and uh, hopefully we're doing some good uh, in our conversation for with families, and I really appreciate your being with us. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be on with you, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Talking with Demosa Weber Bay, former educator, scholastic librarian, I'm Tom Muller, and this has been Colorado Issues.